As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Zonal Marking Podcast, which is brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ali Maxwell, and with me today, Tom Warville is back, and Michael Cox is a year older than when we last spoke. Uh, Michael, how are you doing? How was your birthday? Many happy returns from all of us. Thanks. My birthday was so uneventful, I honestly can't remember what I did for it. Um <laughs> Yeah, good to have Tom back, uh, up to a full compliment. There you go. Tom, you've been busy on site writing this week, uh, uh, more as if you could write any more or talk any more about Mikel Arteta and Arsenal. You did manage to churn out uh, a, a magnificent piece, if I do say so. Thanks, Ali. Yeah, um, I guess I have to start by saying I actually also had a birthday, so I'm also what? a year older. Mm. Um, yeah, so um, fully into my peak years now, which is it's quite a shame, but there we go. <laughs> yeah, really enjoyed that Arteta piece. It was one which, it was just some of the most baffling comments I think I've heard in a press conference for a while just like talking percentages and you never really hear managers touch anything to do with analytics so I kind of had to dive in and, and decipher what it all meant through the analogy of uh, flipping coins um, which was yeah I think that it went down pretty well. Lovely. Uh, Michael what have you been writing as we approach Christmas? Uh, my weekend game was Leeds uh, you know falling to a 6-2 defeat against Manchester United I thought it was a really interesting game you know a lot of people hyped it up as the return of this kind of iconic fixture between two big rivals but obviously I was all about the difference in the coaching strategies and I think that was relevant to how the game went and uh, Solskjaer I've generally been quite critical of him and you know I maintain that he's uh, he's not particularly suited to being Manchester United manager but certain games where his side can be more reactive and counter-attacking I think he is actually quite good at his decision making and his selections for games and I think this is uh, this game was an example of that. Brilliant writing from both of you on site at the moment. And as many people's work slows down, maybe there's a little more time in the schedule for reading those brilliant pieces on The Athletic site. Uh, and there is a Christmas offer, as you guys know. Theathletic.com forward slash zonal marking is the place to go. And you can buy one for yourself and gift one. You get given one free to give away to a loved one, to a mate uh, this Christmas. Make sure you sign up to The Athletic today if you're not already 
already. Uh, and Coxie, what are we talking about this week? The return of one of our favourite managers in Premier League history. Yeah, Sam Allardyce is back in the Premier League in charge of West Brom and we thought that would be a good uh, opportunity. In fact, thanks to Simon Vincent who requested something on this on Twitter um, and we agreed with his suggestion that it would be a good thing to tackle. Looking at, you know, whether the caricature of him is true in terms of his style of management, in terms of his style of play and uh, yeah, the usual mix of tactics and stats. I was going to say, he's he's perfect for our unique blend, I think, of, uh, of what you guys uh, both bring to the table. And, and we're so lucky to have a very loose remit for this podcast, which, which allows us to tackle things that interest us and suit you guys. But also, we love to hear from you guys, the listeners, about what would interest you, future topics. And Simon Vincent requested this. Uh, we're running it this week. And, and do always feel free to tweet us with any suggestions as well. Tom, before we get into the the meat and gravy of the matter, you've met Big Sam. In fact, you've worked with him. <laughs> you say work with. I um I was on a panel with Big Sam at Google's offices a few years ago, and it was actually um it was me, Big Sam, and Emma Hayes, the Chelsea women's coach, and it was mm-hmm. a panel all around AI in football, and it was one of the most ludicrous panels I think we've ever been on. There was chat about like, will we have robot players and robot referees? But the main thing was Big Sam. After I was introduced, turned round because uh, I've been introduced as, as a data scientist, which was my job at Opta previously, and is in his kind of gruff you know northern tones go well he looks like a geek don't he because i was wearing glasses (laughs) and a jacket and as you can imagine i went bright red um but managed to rein it in and tried to give him some stick back but um yeah there was there was no no comeback from there in the first minute i don't think I hope he followed it up with that excellent Sam Allardyce laugh that we've seen a few times uh, once when laughing at uh, Chico, the Swansea player, famously. Um, I actually worked with him two or three weeks ago before any murmurs about Slavon Bilic's departure about West Brom. And yeah, he was fascinating to spend the day with on a EFL highlights show. Uh, I would say that he was exactly how I expected him to be, which is only notable because it's not always the case. And I think certainly with managers, you see them on the touchline, you see them in post-match interviews, which can be quite tedious and quite trying for them. And you get a certain idea in your head about what someone's character is like that is often completely false when you meet them in a in a different setting, in a more relaxed setting. Uh, that was not the case with Sam Allardyce, I have to say. He was, he was pleasingly big Sam and it was very, very entertaining spending the day with him. Uh, Michael, I know that you're quite a big fan of, of Allardyce the man, Allardyce the manager and, and excited to have him back in a Premier League dugout. Yeah, I think he's a good manager. I think he's got results consistently over the course of his career, albeit with sides that are have always been in a roughly similar position. He's never really taken a side from, you know, the, the mid-table position to being a, a, a true Champions League side, for example. But in terms of what West Brom want from a manager, I do think he's got a track record of, uh, of success in, in those terms. And I also think he brings some variety to the league in terms of the fact that he is, I'd say, probably now, along with Sean Dyche, is not someone who really cares about possession football, about attractive football. He is a little bit old school. And while that's not the style of football I want to watch every week, and therefore I do have some sympathy for those West Brom fans who are disappointed that they've turned away from Slevin Bilic and gone towards a a more route one style of football, as people like to think of it as. As a neutral, I think just having a, a couple of those sides in the league that are a big test for Manchester City and Liverpool 
creates interesting games. So yeah, I'm, I must say I'm quite pleased to see him back. Certainly adds to the rich tactical tapestry of the Premier League and has also added pleasingly to the football lexicon as well when he created the phrase, the verb rather, out-tacticked. Jose was uh, pretty scathing about uh, your performance. <laughs> <laughs> he can't take it, can he? He can't take it, he just can't take it because we've out-tacticked him, we've out-witted him. Him. Uh, you know what I mean? He just can't cope, can he? Like, you know, so there you go. Because then he told you as well. I know he did. <laughs> he can tell me all he wants, I don't give a <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I love to see Chelsea players moaning at the referee, trying to intimidate him, Jose jumping up and down saying we play football, we play anything. It's brilliant when you get a result against him. So. Hard luck, Josie. I mean, just to pick up off the back of that, I thought that was interesting because that was, I think I'm right in saying that was a nil-nil draw. West Ham went to Stamford Bridge and got a nil-nil. And Mourinho said that Allardyce's side had played 19th century football. Now, I don't mean to be too pedantic, but in the 19th century, everyone played like 2-3-5 formations or 2-2-6 formations and the games all finished like 5-4. So I'm not sure 19th century football really works there. First Allardyce and now Cox Mourinho is truly in the mud right now. Um, yeah, I mean, given that we talk about tactics so much on this podcast, actually, it would be fair to say that one of your principal remits, Michael, on here and for The Athletic is to work out which managers are out-tacticking other managers. I, I think it's only apt that we take a good old look at Sam Allardyce's career, his style of play and what he might do with West Bromwich Albion. Of course, with the principal objective of saving them from Premier League relegation. Tom, when I think about Sam Allardyce and, and Coxie's already touched on it, I do think about a, a remarkable and consistent track record. Um, as a, a data scientist and a huge nerd, according to Sam Allardyce, <laughs> how do you go about rating him as a manager and the jobs that he's done? I think you've got to consider all of his achievements within kind of the constraints that are placed upon him and, and based on you know, the resources he has available. Um, the you know the the task he ultimately has with a lot of the clubs that he's managed is just to stay in the league um, and I think his track record kind of speaks for itself that he's never been relegated he's dragged multiple clubs out of relegation dogfights as we will uh, we'll go on to, to chat about and if you look at I mean one one thing that I quite like to understand managers isn't really manager like win rate in games because it doesn't really adjust for the quality of your team and the opposition and things like that but there's a great public site called Club Elo which tells you based on the quality of the team based on the quality of the opposition how many games did a manager win or how many points did they win against teams which effectively are better or worse than them and you can see whether a team's kind of stock rises or drops um, over the course of their career and Club Elo's got data going back to I think the 1800s in some places and, and kind of rank, ranks all managers going back you know since then and I think it has Big Sam as the 65th best coach in you know football since ever which given a lot of what he's done is trying to take teams out of relegation zones or, or in the case of the, his time with West Ham just maintaining Premier League status and, and mid-table finishes I think that's just that's amazing, really, to be that consistent and able to do that with, with the resources at his disposal is, is you know, really, really good. Michael, what's the best job that Allardyce has done for you? I still think you'd have to say Bolton. I mean, what he achieved there to get them promotion, which at the time I think was quite unexpected from, uh, from what was it called then? The first division? 
Yeah, must have been the first division then. Um, yeah, I mean, just getting promotion itself was a really impressive achievement. And he was really written off in the first campaign. And he, he brought through a number of players who had a great first season in the Premier League. And then they actually improved. They didn't just escape relegation. They went on to really challenge for the, the European places. I mean, I think I'm right in saying that they got the same number of points as Liverpool did in the year that Liverpool won the European Cup. Since then, I, I think people have, have generally used him as a bit of a caretaker manager or a manager who's kind of going to do a job maybe in the short term. But he was at Bolton for eight years, I think I'm right in saying. And, I mean, really transformed them into, by the time he left, a, a pretty established Premier League club. We haven't really seen him take a club to higher positions. I mean, Everton is probably, you know, the the, the most prestigious club He's coached. There was Newcastle as well, but Newcastle at a slightly lower level. He he couldn't really get the best out of Everton and take them into, you know, what Everton want to be in those European places. But uh, yeah, I think Bolton is still the club I associate him with the most. The very fact, Tom, that he's never suffered relegation from the Premier League is made more impressive by applying the context that you've alluded to. Not only the the budgets of a lot of the clubs that he's managed, but also their position when he joined these clubs. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if you look at, I think, Blackburn, he joined when the team was in 19th, left when they were in 13th. West Ham was probably the safest project he's taken on. Well, he kind of got promoted to the Premier League through the playoffs, I think. And then after that, had three kind of consistent mid-table finishes between, uh, I think, 11th and 14th. And the one thing with, with West Ham, which interested me, is his contract ran out and just both parties decided not to renew it, which... That feels like a very rare thing when considering that nowadays. Like I can't really think of many managers at the moment who've just kind of let their contract run out and they've just departed from uh, from the club they're, they're at. But yeah, anyway, Sunderland's another one, 19th um, when he joined. And I think he had one win in 10 games before the January transfer window. And then got in Wabi Kazri, Jan Kirchhoff and, and Lamine Kone, which looking back now might have kept them in the Premier League that season. But in terms of long-term signings, they didn't really get a lot of value out of, out of each of those players. And then Palace, 17th to, to 14th, and he signed Luka Milivojevic, uh, Patrick van Aanholt and Jeffrey Schlupp in the process. All have been pretty good signings for Palace and they've got a, a lot of service out of those players in the last few seasons. Another reason, Michael, why he's of interest to this podcast specifically is that he's often given credit for being a bit of an early adopter of what we now would call analytics and data analytics in football. Now, this is a while ago now, and it's a diff- it was a very different beast, but when it came to making stats-driven decisions as a manager at Bolton, uh, Anadice, as I say, often given the credit for, for, for being an early adopter there. Yeah, and quite an interesting story, I think. I mean, he picked up on this stuff when he had a very brief spell playing uh, in the US with Tampa Bay Rowdies, and they shared facilities with uh, the NFL team and basically, he just became convinced of the need for sports science, for dietitians, for statistical analysts, all those kind of things. And, and like you say, in terms of him implementing that at Bolton, we're going the best part of uh, 20 years in the past now. So it's maybe not relevant in terms of, you know, he's not going to be innovative as far as I'm aware at West Brom. But I think it does show that he's an open-minded manager. You know, he's he's not a pure kind of... He doesn't always hark back to the past. He, he does believe in progress. And I think more widely... You know, people talk about his use of, of prozone and that that kind of thing. But what he was particularly big on, and he always uses this phrase, is he expanded the team behind the team. So, you know, at a time where basically you just had a manager and a couple of coaches, he brought in a lot of people in unfamiliar jobs to football at that time and really believed in that. And that's now the standard now. So, yeah, like I said, I'm not sure it's going to be innovative. I think there's a, there's a case that a lot of managers... 
Um, they innovate in one way, everyone else catches up and they don't then have that edge. Maybe that has happened to a certain extent with Allardyce because, like I say, he's never really replicated his job with Boltwin in my eyes. But yeah, he's he's probably a more interesting character than some people give him credit for. Yeah, I remember one one anecdote or example of kind of how Allardyce would use use Prozone, I guess use data back then, is I think they used to analyse kind of when the ball was pumped forward to say Kevin Davis or whoever's up there. They look at how often the ball would be clear to different zones of the pitch and then would essentially time runs or, or place players and get them to make moves into certain zones based on where the ball would land which is just really like fairly basic but smart analysis to understand okay how can we win more second balls regain more possessions and and, and kind of keep attacks going for longer and that's the kind of work that you know more and more clubs will be doing in-house now there was an interview of sorts with with Allardyce a couple of years ago with um, stats and he was kind of saying that in the 1990-2000 season, if you used statistical analysis, you could gain 5 to 10% in terms of performance because no one was using it. And that back then, that, that wasn't a marginal game, that was, that was a large gain. But now, because everyone's got access to, to stats and analytics and, and video and they are hiring you know, more people in these roles, it's not a gain if you use it or don't. The gain is how well you can integrate it into your processes compared to, to your rivals, which is a big change. But I think that we're seeing that the teams that have very well thought out, very bought into analysis workflows across recruitment, across first team, um, are getting the most value out of it. And that's, you know, your, we've spoken before, your Liverpool's, your Leicester's kind of, kind of clubs. I wonder which is his favourite and least favourite of the modern metrics that are more widely used and acknowledged in uh, in, in modern football. Uh, Tom, did, did you get any nuggets of insight from him about AI in football? Did he seem excited about the prospect of managing a team of robots one day? <laughs> it was actually a debate at the time when the um, having like an automated offside line was, was discussed. And I do wonder whether... Um, now kind of in hindsight with with VAR whether that um, debate would have been shaped slightly more interestingly if we'd have known the the difficulties and issues and the growing pains that we've had um, with VAR up to the, this point in the Premier League but um, no I don't think Big Sam was too pleased about having robot linesmen so thank God that they're not in the game just yet Hello I'm Mark Chapman the host of a special episode of Giant produced by The Athletic it's the story of Chester City's American dream. A dream that turned into a nightmare. This is Terry Smith. He's coached teams to honours in England, Europe and the United States. One of football's most celebrated coaches. American football, that is. Now he wants to conquer another sport. I think I've probably got... Uh, you know, more years of coaching experience than just about anyone. Not in soccer. No, not in soccer. Search for Giant on Spotify to listen to the full episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Michael, a key question, as he's just been appointed as West Brom manager with the team in the relegation zone. And um, just as we approach Christmas, probably around, I think, five points from safety as we record today. Um, do you expect him to improve West Brom and do what he has done so many times before? I mean, I think they're up against it just because of the quality of the squad. I think it's a really difficult year to get promoted because those sides weren't able to, to spend the money that you often need to be able to compete. But I do think just in terms of the percentage chances of them staying up, I think it's gone up quite a lot. I mean, I didn't really give Billich's West Brom much of a hope, really. I would have said maybe 10, 15 percent with Allardyce. I would guess maybe 35, 40 percent. I do think it makes a big difference. I think West Brom have some talented players going forward. The issue, one of the issues for me, and I know this improved a little bit in Billich's final weeks, but the defensive organisation wasn't really good enough. And that is something that Allardyce can do. And in terms of those attacking players, I think Allardyce likes to give them room to do what they want. And, you know, people have a, a perception of Allardyce that he only plays Route 1 football. I mean, I'd say two things in response to that. One, you look at his Bolton side, OK, they played long balls up to Kevin Davies, but... If the players who are getting on the end of the knockdown to the likes of JJ Okocha and Yuri Djorkaev and Nicholas Anelka and El Hedjouf, then I don't really see the problem with that. I think that's a lot more exciting than most other clubs were doing at that time in the Premier League. And the second thing to say is that when you look at maybe his most impressive survival job, which was with Sunderland, he didn't use a big man there. He ended up playing Jermaine Defoe as a lone forward, which is a role he hadn't really played much previously. And then he had Kazri on the left, um, okay, in this side for set pieces, but very much a creative player. Um, and then usually Fab uh, Fabio Barini on the right, who was, you know, a kind of uh, nippy wide forward who'd played at uh, Roma and under Brendan Rodgers at Liverpool briefly. So... I think he adjusts. I think he, one thing that he always says is when it comes to new players who are kind of talented and underperforming, he always focuses on the strengths. And I think that's a, it might sound a really obvious thing to say, but we live in an era at the moment where in football, every player is expected to be everything. Every attacker has to press, every defender has to play out from the back. And I think what Allardyce does is he simplifies players' games and he makes them more comfortable. And I think that general approach could work well for West Brom. Would you be as, as positive as, as Michael, Tom? Yeah, I definitely would agree that he's got his work cut out. I mean, if we look at expected goals, um, this is probably the toughest task that, that Allardyce has, has got in terms of where the team is at the current baseline. West Brom got under Bilic had the worst attack in the league and putting up 0.55 xG per game uh, and the worst defence putting up, um, you know, conceding 1.75 xG per game. Those are Premier League highs at both ends or lows I guess in the last five seasons so this is really a team that's starting with from, from rock bottom really so yeah I I think like Michael was saying simplifying it is, is definitely the way to go and you'd think that he's in that office kind of day one thinking right what are the strengths of these players I think that he's got some pretty technical players in uh, Matias Pereira and I quite like Carlin Grant as well as a player who isn't great in the air. I mean, if we look at data from Smarter Scout, he's got a rating of 8 out of 99 for aerial duels and open, open play, which essentially tells us that, you know, on average, he's, he's, not, he's not a target man by any means. So I do wonder if we we see a different style from Big Sam, one that is maybe more focused on a team that can sit back, uh, attack quickly, but they're looking to carry the ball and counter-attack more than just playing into a, 
a player who can hold it up and bring other players into play because that's just not the the squad he has at the moment. It's interesting, isn't it? Because part of Simon's question to us, you know, which was based around Allardyce, but was also around direct football or long ball football and how effective it can be in the modern game. And from what you're saying, Michael, and then what Tom mentioned there about the especially a lack of a physical striker at his disposal would you expect to see more of a a Sunderland under Allardyce rather than a Bolton under Allardyce when it comes to style of play and specifically directness yeah I mean I don't think long ball football is part of his philosophy I think he's a pragmatist I think you'll see that they've got you know Grant and Diangana and some other very I think quite talented attacking players I don't think he's going to be saying well launch long balls towards their head I think obviously they're going to be relatively defensive. They're probably going to play on the counter-attack. They probably won't build play methodically from the back. But yeah, I mean, he's going to want to get Grant into the positions he likes to be in, which is generally, I'd say, slid balls into the channels rather than, you know, aimless hoofs downfield. So I I would be more positive than most about the style of football if you're talking about aesthetics. I don't think Allardyce is committed to one way of playing. I I just don't think that's his game. Like I say, he's all about looking towards uh, players' strengths. And uh, and yeah, I I think they will play towards the strengths of Grant uh, more than anyone because I think he's probably been their most consistently dangerous attacker even if he isn't scoring a huge number of goals at the moment it's interesting because in the championship last season the star men or the players that I would have considered to to have had the biggest impact positive impact on the team uh, outside of the defenders were Matias Pereira as a I suppose nominally a number 10 but who sometimes played off the right coming inside onto his left foot and generally found space drifting out wide as a lot of number 10s do and Grady Diangana when he was fit uh, at the time on loan from West Ham and now with West Brom more permanently um, as just a winger whose skill level technically and in terms of flair and imagination but also in terms of a goal threat um, was just way too good for that level and and it was it was at the very top end of the pitch where you'd say they were quite weak and it, it feels like that's still sort of the case unless he really can find a system that gets the most out of Grant and maybe can coax the best out of Pereira uh, and others as well and um, yeah it's fascinating with what he's got to work with and I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes after you guys have talked me through it. A, a little bit of a, a key change here my talk about style of play and effectiveness and how many good jobs Sam Allardyce has done of course he was appointed England manager which did not last very long for matters that had nothing to do with with football really or certainly not his football management um how do you think his England tenure would have gone it's a bit of a sliding doors moment isn't it really because of course Southgate was appointed interim manager and has never looked back yeah if I'm being honest I was a little bit worried um he coached one competitive game I think I'm right in saying and England won and Rooney he played Wayne Rooney I think as a number 10 first half and then he shifted into more of a midfield role and he was asked about that afterwards and he said well it's not for me to say you know it's not for me to tell Wayne Rooney where to play you know, Rooney Rooney kind of takes those decisions himself or something. And I was like, I was so baffled by the fact that he would say that after a period of four or five years where we'd constantly been worried about basically Rooney having too much free reign and dominating the England side too much. And that was a concern because he hadn't really coached top players in their prime years before. And he'd always made a big thing of, oh, I'm not suited to Bolton and Blackburn. If he put me at a big club, I could do a job there as well. Well, that was a big job. 
and obviously he, he lost his job in slightly unfortunate circumstances but even just his his attitude for that one game I thought was a slight concern so I must say I wasn't uh, entirely displeased when that was the end of it for him sadly well-structured defensive unit, maybe a counter-attacking approach and a heavy onus on scoring from set pieces. Tom, absolutely smacks of a of a good tournament side to me. I think that's a good way of putting it. I mean, for um, I mean, it's such a big cliche, but for West Brom at the moment, every single game is is a cup final <laughs> um, if they're going to pull themselves off uh, 19th in the Premier League. So, yeah, I, I, I think that they've got the players to shore up the defence and I think Semi Ajayi is a player who can be a bit erratic at times, but he's really mm. solid jeweler, kind of one on one in the air and on the ground. And I think that you know, with with him, um, Conor Gallagher as well is having a really s- solid season. I think they can start to build kind of a, a strong spine, and then from that, it's just around the, the movements and rotations to get the best out of the the attacking players that we've mentioned already. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And interestingly, we've, we've sort of established that actually to pigeonhole Sam Allardyce as a direct or long ball manager would be to to slightly miss the point, I think. Um, but we did want to have a little look at direct long ball teams in particular because of, of Simon's question uh, and how much of a place there is for that as a as a principal approach in the modern game, in the Premier League specifically. So, Tom, um, I, I set you a bit of homework. Firstly, how do you personally measure which teams are long ball teams which teams are a route one sides like what metrics and stats do they have to be at the very top of you can look at the total per game proportion of passes whatever which way you want to to dice it really but it's mainly the proportion of passes which are long um and i kind of went back and forth with opta a little bit in in the conquest to complete my homework here just to understand a little bit more around some of their their definitions so big thanks to to jamie kemp who kind of um, did some digging uh on my behalf and and the way that kind of opta deemed these there's kind of two schools of thought with with long passes and long balls which is slightly a nuanced difference but there is a fairly big difference between them so the first is a long pass which is any pass which is over I think 35 meters and is very much intended to hit a specific player doesn't matter if they're aimed for their heads or their feet whatever it's aimed to meet a player kind of towards them whereas a long ball is more of a ball into into space it's the channel ball which we mentioned before and something which is is essentially looking to target a zone of the pitch but what i you know what what you can do from there is look okay what proportion of passes does a team make which are long which are are long balls or long passes and i was looking at the long passes here so these are the ones which go over 35 meters uh, from the defensive half into the attacking third Uh, and we can see this season burnley perhaps unsurprisingly attempt the most of, of 23 per game then Sheffield United around 20 per game and then Aston Villa 16 per game and on the flip side we have Man City attempting less than eight Man U attempting 10 Chelsea just around 10 as well so there you, you get a, a decent flavour of the teams which are trying to be more direct in their play and and the former sides are those which have less possession so overall so when they do have it they are looking to launch it long and the other sides, the Man City's, Man United's, Chelsea's have more possessions. So for them, going long as a route to get upfield is is a route that's, um, I guess it's a, 
a road that's less well well taken for them really yeah. The phrase that you use there, long passes, reminds me of, of an excellent early episode of Zonal Marking uh, when you were just a twinkle in our eye, Tom. Uh, when we spoke to Andy Jones, who covers Burnley for The Athletic, uh, and specifically talked about Sean Dyche's style of play. Uh, and of course, that phrase, long passes, came up quite a lot in an attempt to, to break down Dyche's system, which has worked so well for Burnley at Premier League level. I, I also asked you... Who are the most direct teams in recent times, maybe over the last five years or so, in the Premier League? And how much does Sean Dyche's Burnley surface and does Big Sam surface at all in any of his previous jobs? Yeah, again, that's a, a great question. And uh, I got the numbers for this and we can look at uh, and, and see kind of who's done the most of these, what I've called direct long passes. So these are those that, again, start in the defensive third and the attacking third and they are, by definition, kind of long passes over 35 metres. So Burnley in 1718 were the most direct side we've seen in recent seasons and they attempted 33 of these passes per 90. Burnley in 1617 was second. Then you've got the first big Sam side which is the Everton in 1718 and they were attempting 30 direct long passes per 90. The thing, a slight segue, but the, the kind of move for Allardyce to Everton for me is, is just one of the most baffling given he was sacked for kind of differences in, in playing style um, and uh, essentially diverging from from Everton's longer term plan, which for me, given all the evidence we had up to the point of <laughs> of Big Sam's career, to then be signed to a team that wants to play expansive attacking football, and then deciding actually no, Big Sam's long ball football isn't what we want, it, for me just seems crazy. It, it just just doesn't feel enough spoken about enough as one of the most like biggest managerial mismatches between a style and, and a team really but anyway fourth <laughs> Burnley 1920 then we've got Palace for Big Sam in 1617 who were attempting 27 of these passes and after that you've got Sheffield United last season West Brom in 1718 who were relegated Sunderland in 1617 who were relegated Burnley in 1819 and West Brom in 1617. So in that list, you've got a mix of teams who, like Burnley, who's, this is their style, this is the way they play and this is how they kind of you know differentiate themselves from the rest and stay in the league. You've got a couple of teams in West Brom and Sunderland who've been relegated and then you've got the big Sam sides who, again, this is a functional style that, that staves off relegation. So I've basically had Coxie telling me that big Sam is not a long ball manager and then Tom whipping out recent historical data which shows that at Everton and at Palace he was only less of a long ball manager than uh, Sean Dyche and more so than any other manager in that time period. Michael what, what say you to that? I say we'll take a look at the stats at the end of the season and so, <laughs> see who's right. Uh, I really have loved the development of uh, of Michael's love and a, a appreciation, admiration even for, for Sam Allardyce and, and Coxie, it's been fun to chat to you about him and, and how positive you are about West Brom's prospects or rather their improved prospects with him at the helm. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I think the situation at the bottom of the league is quite interesting because, you know, you look at West Brom's record and they've played 14 games they've won once, which is really not a very good record. And yet you look at the league table and they're only five points off survival in terms of 17th place, which is Brighton. And that just seems to me to be a great situation in, in terms of when you should change manager. West Brom's results in themselves have not been good. But if they do change manager, I think they've got a decent chance of staying up. So I know a lot of people were disappointed to see Bilic go. I like him a lot as the guy, but 
to me, it makes sense. And uh, I think they'll be more competitive under Allardyce. Even if we should say their first game away at Villa, they were absolutely pitiful. I mean, Allardyce didn't really have much time on the training ground. They got an early red card. It was an uphill struggle. And Villa are a good side as well. But yeah, I think they will... They will improve and they've got a couple of interesting fixtures. I mean, the, the next game this coming weekend is away at Anfield. And obviously we know about Liverpool's unbeaten run. I don't expect that they will get anything from that. But Liverpool can sometimes struggle against sides like that. And Allardyce was the last manager to uh, record a, a victory as an away side at Anfield uh, back in his days with Crystal Palace. And Tom, uh, just before we finish, one of the teams that Allardyce's West Brom are, are chasing are Brighton. As we're recording, they are 17th on 12 points from 14 games. They've only won two. In data terms, though, they are a massive outlier, aren't they? They, they must have you scratching your head. Have you have you worked out what is going on down on the South Coast? Yeah, the, the Brighton kind of storyline for me is still one of the most interesting this season because we yet to work out whether this team is genuinely good and being a bit unlucky or they've put up good metrics but they don't actually have the underlying quality to realise them in actual terms. I mean if you look at their expected goals against this season they're the third best defence in the league. This is something I wrote about probably about five, six weeks ago now saying this is a trend to to keep an eye on because Brighton have put up some really solid defensive performances against um, Chelsea, against Liverpool I think uh, I think they've played Manchester City as well and uh, you know if it wasn't for Matt Ryan who I think is having the second worst season of all goalkeepers apart from Vicente Gaeta at Palace in terms of conceding more than you'd expect they could be a lot higher on the table than they are and then on the flip side you've got Neil Mopé, Danny Welbeck and Aaron Connolly all undershooting their expected goals so they're a team that maybe, you know, give it a few more games, they're in line for a bit of regression to the mean and they could actually catapult up to, to mid-table and maybe even higher. Or are they just a team that is getting good positions, but they actually don't have the, the underlying qualities to stay there? Well, thank you both very much. Enjoyed listening to you guys talk me through Sam Allardyce, his career so far, his style of play, his prospects with West Brom and whether he can avoid having a first ever Premier League relegation on his CV. And also, Tom, um, with some data on teams that play direct. Uh, really interesting stuff. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for listening as well in Christmas week to the Zonal Marking podcast. Please do subscribe to this pod feed. We will be back again next week with another episode, a real end of year feel to things on the ZM pod. And we hope you'll join us for that one. Don't forget that if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you can listen to this podcast ad free on The Athletic site and app and so many other good athletic and totally show podcasts on there as well completely free of adverts and if you buy one today using the code theathletic.com forward slash zonal marking you can gift one as well give one away for free to someone who would appreciate it thanks as always for tuning in join us again next week this has been the zonal marking podcast brought to you by the athletic (laughs) 